disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, guys, I love this conversation we had with Sean Tuma. He is a cybersecurity expert and a cybersecurity lawyer. And uh, I originally wanted to have him on just to talk about this new thing that Amazon is doing where they're uh, essentially connecting your smart devices to a bunch of other smart devices in your neighborhood, and you have to opt out. So it's like they don't even ask. They just connect you. And I think it makes you, first of all, it's a huge privacy violation. Second of all, it makes you more vulnerable to hacking in my opinion, which we'll dive into. But we got into a much more fascinating conversation about artificial intelligence, the singularity, melding human minds with technology, and censorship of big tech, of your viewpoint on the internet and why that's a terrible thing. So we dove into all of these things uh, before finally tackling the Amazon thing. So this is, to me, a very fascinating conversation. It's something that I'm passionate about and it's something I think you need to know about. So enjoy this conversation with my friend, uh, Sean Tuma, who again is a lawyer for Spencer Fain. He is a cybersecurity lawyer, and you can find him at spencerfain.com or uh, seantuma.com. So enjoy this conversation coming up here in just a second. But first, thanks to my friends at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville, right on the border of Odom County. Go to the showroom and look and see what they have to offer. Talk to their designers, Michelle, George, and Kelly. I love this company. I worked with this company. They did my kitchen and they did my master bath when I lived in Crestwood. Our house sold in one day when we put it on the market. And it sold for our asking price in one day when we put it on the market. We actually had potential offers waiting in the wings if we hadn't have accepted the first one. That, that I feel like, now the house was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. We put a lot into it. But the kitchen was one of the first things you saw. You walked into this gorgeous grand entryway, these vaulted ceilings in the living room. And as you turn to the right, there was this gorgeous kitchen. They did that kitchen. And I really feel like it was one of those things when you walk into a house and you go, this is where I want to live. If this is what you're doing, you're thinking about selling your house and you want to just kind of make it sell quicker, or if you're thinking about, no, I want to live in my home for a long time, I just want my dream kitchen, don't call these guys. They're awesome. You're absolutely going to love them. Tim Montgomery, his designers, George, Michelle, Kelly, they'll help you out. You can go to 1200 or 6200 Hit Lane and stop by that showroom or give them a call at 502-930-3304, 502-930-3304. And again, I don't talk about businesses that I don't fully believe in. And that's why I'm proud to have Louisville Cabinets and Countertops as a sponsor of this program. All right, now to the conversation we had, starting off with coffee, but then quickly getting much more interesting with my friend Sean Tuma, cybersecurity expert. So I just made the best cup of coffee, Sean, that I think I've ever made in my life. Is it French press? No. Um, what it is is like, uh, it's just basic Keurig. But what I did was I got... Um, some of this Starbucks chocolate mocha mint coffee. Ooh. Yeah. And then I, I had to mix it half with my, uh, Rockford coffee from Bozeman, Montana, little shameless plug here, rockfordcoffee.com. Um, 
that is, I had to mix it with that because that's my decaf and I can't, you don't want me on a full caffeinated cup of coffee. <clears throat> like it won't be pretty. So I mixed it, but then I put Dutch cocoa in it, unsweetened Dutch cocoa, just one little packet of coconut sugar and uh, some heavy cream. And my wife got me this little frother last Christmas. So I frothed it all up, then put the coffee in. Dude, it's freaking like, it's like a coffee hot chocolate. It's crazy. That sounds amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. So, uh, good Thanksgiving for you. You you still recovering? Oh, yeah. And uh, speaking of caffeine, uh, I've got to have the full caffeinated version (laughs) and usually several cups to to wake me up. And that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Why are all these- but I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to add a little chocolate to it anytime. Why are all you tech guys like never morning people? You're always like late sleepers. You do all your stuff. It's like you're hacking the world at night. Like you're night owls. Like you know. Like, yeah, it's crazy. I don't understand. You know, I think uh, for me, I like the night. Now I do. If I could get in the habit, when I'm in the habit, I like early mornings. I just like, you know, I think part of it is many of us are introverted by nature, right? And and we just don't like people, you know. <laughs> and so so everybody else is up and cheery during the the regular hours of the day. We want the hours when nobody else is sending us emails, right? And, you know, right. All of that stuff. So I, that's my best explanation. There you go. Um, did you ever like like? Do you know a lot about the hacking world? Do you pay attention to it? Did you ever get into oh, yeah. it when you were in college? No, I, I, I was never a uh, a hacker type. In fact, I, I was not a technology focused person until um, law school when I got into cyber law with uh, Y2K. Okay. And so it was more the law that pulled me into the tech world right? as opposed to most to its tech world that pulls him into the law either for good or bad right. many times. What happened with Y2K? I remember that so vividly. My wife and I had just started dating, excuse me, at the time, and um, – it was it was all the rage we thought the world was going to end. I mean, it was crazy, and then nothing happened. What actually happened there? Man, you know it. It there there are a couple of different schools of thought here. One is that it was just a lot of hype and hysteria over nothing from the beginning. Right. That it was a lot of concern over the what if, uh, you know, if like viewing worst case scenario. As, as being a probability. Um, I think the better explanation, and I actually got this through, speaking of coffee, uh, sitting down for a couple hours one day, having coffee with the uh, gentleman who was uh, the White House's uh, point person on Y2K preparations. Right. And he he and I uh, visited for quite some time, and he, he told me his view was that it was a very real and legitimate problem, but because of the the overall threat to both government, business, individuals, we saw 
the world come together. Mm-hmm. We saw the business community, the government, and and individuals come together and work as one to solve that problem and to make the changes that needed to be made and that they were in fact made um, almost like a wartime effort. Right. And that that's why there was not the problems that we anticipated. Right. Um, yeah, I can remember going up to that. Everybody, all, like the company that I was working for, everybody was like, you know, it was chitter chatter all day long about, you know, trying to make sure everything was done right. Um, it, is there ever anything like that that could happen again? Are we like like that was perhaps an oversight by the original programmers of how the Internet was put together? You know, Al Gore and his peeps. Um, it, it, is there anything, any hidden like um, Easter egg, like they call it in the gaming world that is left out there that could cause something like that that we're not a, not thinking about right now or what? I, I would like to think there's not, but I know very well that that we live in a world full of unknown unknowns right? where we just don't know what we don't know that might be out there. And technology has increased at such a rapid pace that many times we're seeing developers create before they have a uh, full time to vet, mm-hmm. you know, so, so it's like, it's who can get to market fastest with the latest technology. And so they're designing it and pushing it out there and then testing it as it's being implemented. Right. And that definitely creates that opportunity. And look, a lot of, a lot of what we see in the cyber attack hacking world comes from applications or devices being pushed out that have security flaws in them. And that's why we get the updates. You know, that's why they send the updates because they're like, oh, crap, we didn't see this. Let's go fix it, push the update out. So that's part of the process. Um, But I don't think it's on a scale that that is as as uh, globally impacting as Y2K. There was a concern a couple of years ago about a, uh, a chip flaw in, in an Intel chip that, that was thought, uh, believed to be, you know, a, of a very large scale impact, but it was corrected before it ever occurred. So right. um, I, my hope is no, but, but if, I think if it is, we're going to, you know, the hackers will probably find it yeah. first. I, I, I think the next big frontier of things that we should be concerned about with regards to the internet with regards to um, technology is artificial intelligence, which yeah. I mean, one of the things we're going to talk about when I, when we get into this here in just a few minutes sort of is just like a lot of the groundwork that's being laid. I see a softening of the American mind when it comes to the protection of privacy and the sentiency of the individual being, because uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about AI. I think Elon Musk wants to try to put this thing he's working on called Neuralink, which would essentially allow you to. It, it it's it's basically we we as some some people say we already kind of have it with our phones because you can Google anything, but it would just be kind of yeah. hardwired into you. And I know that seems fantastical right now, um, but at the same time, we're not that far away from this kind of stuff. And that's that's it, where I think the big scary is right now is like. How much of our lives are we literally going to give over to our phones and then to whatever comes after the cell phone? Um, right. You know, that's that worries me. I, I think you're exactly right. And I share in that concern. Um, and I, I tell you um, exactly as you put it, it's this um, 
this convergence that they're seeking to create between humanity and and machine. machine. Yeah, and to where if you think it it is recorded and and you right. so right now we have as humans we have the ability to think things that we would never want to share with the world right but use our discretion to keep our mouth shut many times and not say them right right uh, that's helped a, an awful lot of marriages but imagine <laughs> you know when when there is this convergence this singularity right between man and machine and we no longer have the ability to control what our brain spits out on a screen and to to just to to tell you I keep an, uh, a, a database of articles, so mm -hmm. I do a lot of writing, speaking, and when I find something interesting, I save it in a database, and I tag it. I have a tag just labeled dystopian because it's when I read an article that talks about these things we've been worried about since 1984, the book. You know, and one of the, the tags that I, I pop, one of the articles I find that I put there is when you see like this DARPA research where they're they're getting soldiers to where they can put an implant in their minds, you know, in their head that will allow their thoughts to control a device or their right. thoughts to, to function. And they're working on that and they've had success with that. Right. And so I see that as the first step. And then you combine that with the artificial intelligence, and, and that creates a huge potential for problem. But there's one more step that scares me and I believe is the greatest threat to humanity. And that is this compulsion with using any means necessary to control the way other people think. Yeah. What and their beliefs. Yeah. What we're seeing on Twitter right now is an example of that. Um, yep. You know, the 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 more we meld ourselves and our personality with the internet, social media, the more, you know, I, I, I work in the firearms industry or sort of a side industry of the firearms industry. And I sit and sit and talk, I talk to a lot of instructors and sit through a lot of classes that are instructing various things. And one of the things that comes up a lot is that if you are, uh, involved in sort of a self-defense incident of any type, the prosecutor is going to be looking for evidence that you might have either wanted to do whatever you did or were more violent in your nature. And they'll go to your Facebook or they'll go to your Twitter yeah. and they'll, they'll pull up everything you've ever sort of blurted out and it will be there. And then it's going to be handed to a jury that's not going to know the context of you. And the more we meld with this sort of, this sort of thing, this, this internet thing. And now we have this, I think you're absolutely right, by the way, this, this, it, when we look at COVID, I got banned from Facebook for 24 hours. I kid you not, Sean, for 24 hours, I was banned from COVID, uh, from uh, Facebook because I wrote that if you um, exercise and eat a better diet, it can, it can prevent or lessen the effects of coronavirus. That is a known fact. That is a scientific fact. There is no disputing that what I said was 100% correct. Facebook banned me. I asked them to review it. They came back and said, nope, you're banned for 24 hours 
because you were spreading misinformation about the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. That 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 literally was them censoring a 100% true fact because it went against the narrative that everyone should be cowering in fear. And, you know, I am in front, and like I said, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to get COVID at some point. I may have already had it and not known it. <laughs> but I work very hard on my immune system, and I, am, I kid you not, Sean, during the course of a week, because of what I do, I am in front of hundreds of people, even during COVID restrictions, smaller groups at a time, but in front of hundreds of people. If somebody was going to get it, I'm going to get it, right? Like, and I'm not saying That's it's not right. real. I totally believe it's it's a, it's a serious thing. We need to take it serious. You know, I wear my mask, all this kind of stuff. But the point I'm making is that I'm walking proof that at least it can stave it off to be better fit and be, you know, have your vitamin D levels up and all this kind of stuff. But Facebook censored me for that. And we have all this, this, this stuff with the election. There are weird things that happened in this election. Now, I'm not saying fraud was enough to steal it. That's not what I'm saying. Could be. I don't know. But there were enough weird anomalies in this election that it warrants looking at. And every time you post anything that goes against the narrative that Biden won fair and square, Twitter tags your tweet with a this is disputed. And here's what's interesting, and I'll let you respond to this. But in the cases where they do this, there was an article about COVID that was taken down or, or challenged by Twitter the other day. And it was a woman who went through and she looked at the data and the data said that there are no more people dying than in a normal year. What she was basically saying was when you actually look at the data, and this was a scientist, when you actually look at the data, the people who are dying are people who, and I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but this is, this is a true fact. The vast, 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 vast majority of people who are dying from COVID are people who literally would have died within the course of this year anyway because they had some other severe comorbidity, like advanced heart disease, advanced lung disease. You know what I'm saying? She posted this. And they uh, Facebook did like a this is false information and they posted an article that supposedly refuted it. I went and read the article that refuted it. And I kid you not, I'm just going to boil this down so you can respond to this. The, the summation of what the other article said was she's wrong because our dad said so. There was no refutation of the actual data. They actually changed the premise of her article in order to, to refute it. The premise of her article was most people that are dying would have already died anyway. So therefore, there isn't a rise in deaths in America. The number of people who died this year would have died anyway. There is a rise in deaths attributable, at least in part, to COVID, but attributable because they would have probably died from something else. That's a fact. But it's a fact that belies this idea that we should all be cowering in fear and shutting down the economy. And social media is systematically shutting down anything that contradicts that narrative. Yeah, I mean, I agree uh, in a lot of ways. Um, first, I want to point out on your initial comment about uh, in the in the uh, self-defense world. Right. Um, I actually uh, spoke about that issue to to some attorneys Um a couple of years ago or a year or two, maybe a year ago, I don't know, um, and used an example of when this has actually happened. So in Dallas, um, when the police officer, Amber Geiger, was, uh, uh, you know, in her home or in in the wrong home and and killed the innocent man um, and went on trial, they used uh, clips, uh, memes from her social media of 
sharing comments like, you know, when I kill you or, you know, like uh, Navy SEALs only do three things, you know, blah, blah type stuff. And that was part of the evidence in that was introduced in the case. So this has actually happened. Right. And and there are documented instances of it Um, as to the bigger picture, though, of, you know, in in we used to have this belief as a people that the way to find the truth is to have rational reasonable discussion and to share even points of view that you may disagree with and talk through them and then you persuade people right. as to what's right or wrong based upon logic and reason and evidence and we have now reached this point where you either must accept a viewpoint or you are a bad person. Right. Okay, that's not the way you seek truth. Mm -hmm. That's not the way you find right and wrong. Right. Because you've got to have this dialogue and this sharing of alternative views and the maturity to be able to accept it and listen and make your own judgment. That's how you persuade people. We're no longer seeking to persuade. We're now seeking to force. Right. And and that is what the worst regimes in in history have done right. is they've said, we're not going to try to persuade you that we're right. We're going to use any means necessary to force you to comply and believe, as we say, or you will be punished. Well, and there's a movement right now um, started, sparked by people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who are co- trying, you know, groups of people that are trying to collate people's past tweets that might have been in support of President Trump and then to ruin their career. Yeah. It, this is this is fascism without the heavy hand of government. It's fascism through the heavy hand of our two-party system. And using and these tech companies are willingly allowing themselves to be used as a portion of that. And it's almost it's almost comical when they get hauled before Congress and they answer questions that it's so contradictory to what the average person actually sees them doing um you know it's fascinating i've seen so many abusive comments i've had abusive comments towards me that have been allowed to stand but i've seen so many other people say something that from the conservative side maybe um that's not even slightly violent or anything and it gets taken down you know and so kind of bringing this around to this conversation when you you said something earlier that i that really is something i've been thinking about and bothers me I love the Joe Rogan podcast, and he's always talking about the singularity too. And he seems that's to, probably where I heard it, right? But he seems to think that that's that's going to be great. And he's like, I, he wants that day when there is no privacy. And when he says that, I'm always like, dude, are you thinking this through? Because when you go back, what you said earlier about how there's a lot of thoughts in our head we never want anybody to know we had. These thoughts are part of our personhood; they're necessary, right? Because That's just, the essence of humanity. It is. And just like you were saying, how we need that reasonable back and forth, what makes us a reasonable person is that inside our head, there's a lot of unreasonable stuff going on. And we're having that conversation in our head, and that's where that sort of better part of discretion comes in. We don't say what we thought. There's, there's, there's what we think, you know, there's what we desire, and it's raw form, right? Yeah. You know, you're a married man, and you see a beautiful woman walking down the street in very short Daisy Dukes and the thoughts start rolling in your head. I want her. What can I do to, and then you go, wait, but I'm married, right? You you know, the idea that, 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 that first thought that tumbles into your mind as you see her walk by, 
the idea that that would be broadcast to everybody else, that doesn't make you what that first thought was. You are not what that first thought was. What you are is what you mitigated that. When you said, wait a minute, you know, I am married, I am committed, I love my wife, I'm, you know what I mean? That's what makes yeah. you who you are. But those other thoughts are necessary because they're part of humanity. You see a, you see a cupcake. I got to have that cupcake. No, wait, I want to watch my waistline, right? And, and the thought of all of that stuff being put out there, because people that think this isn't going to happen, it absolutely is what, what, what they're talking about. That's what old Google Glass was that fortunately failed, right? It was this idea that you could have a pair of glasses, you could see somebody, you could look up their, their social media profile, know everything about them, then walk up and talk to them. It's like, wait a minute, that's invasive. That's not, you know, yeah. but we're getting closer and closer to that kind of thing. And it's like, you have to have those private moments where you are bad in your mind so that you, because just C.S. Lewis talks about this, the problem of evil, right? Atheists really struggle with why does why does evil exist? Evil exists because it has to in order for good to exist. If you don't, you don't have anything, right? Then it doesn't matter. Then nothing matters. You either have you have good, you have bad. If you don't have good and bad, then nothing matters. Life doesn't matter. Nothing matters, right? And so this same battle is going on in our heads. This good versus evil, right? Good Leland versus bad Leland. And if I have character, good Leland keeps bad Leland in check. Because I'm a human being, and I'm a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. Not to get too religious here, but that's the truth, right? So good Leland has to keep little devil Leland in check. The idea of that all being out there, we would lose that development, and we would cease to be human beings. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it does. And, and that's why um, I think people need to recognize that historically and i believe in the future everything technological that has been used for good has also been used for bad yes and so when nuclear you're bombs at, nuclear power yeah, anything you're looking yep. at the potential good you need to stop and say now put let's put ourselves in the position where where this is in the wrong hands and it's being used against us right and that's what people who who have this kind of pollyanna view of the world they don't understand that there are just bad people out there that just want to do bad things and they will use that against you and and that's why i mean you know regardless of where you stand politically or ideology you know you have to stop and think i may like the way things are right now but the pendulum always swings back the other way what about when the pendulum swings back am i going to like how things go then when I'm on the opposite side of this. And, you know, that's part of persuasion of helping people understand. I, I may like what Twitter's doing right now if I hate Trump, but am I going to like what Twitter's doing if Trump were to somehow buy Twitter? Right. You know, right, I mean, right, right. no, I am not. It's going to be horrid. Um, and the whole and that's why we have to have principles and we have to revert to those principles and those principles should be we're going to seek truth and we're not going to be afraid of a discussion about misinformation because if we believe in truth and rational you know uh, human intelligence and critical thinking right we're going to have the faith that the truth will prevail yeah and 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 we don't have that as a people anymore well and that that goes to the whole idea of censorship too right like um the idiots will rise and show us who they are if we let them 
If we yeah. don't let them, they will become more radical and more dangerous because they'll be in the shadows. I would rather, you know, when we talk about that battle that goes on in our head, and there are some people out there who the good version of them loses that battle, and then they blurt something out or they say something that is unacceptable. It's maybe racist or it's violent or it's extreme or whatever it might be. And they, they put that out there because they've had that that battle of reason in their mind and the evil version of them took over. I want to know who those people are. I don't want to censor them because if I censor them, we force them to feel powerless. And when they feel powerless, the violent aspect takes over their brain. They lose all ability to think rationally as if what they already were doing was rational, right? We're pushing them over that line. And so what I think the big tech gods who have declared themselves arbiters of our conversation in America don't realize is that by censoring points of view that are less than optimal to the rest of society or might be slightly different than whatever the prevailing narrative is, all you're doing is making those thoughts more radical, more intense. And the more you push them into the shadows, the more dangerous they become. And so this idea that somehow or another we can stop the thoughts behind the language by banning the language is, is not only ridiculous and wrong, it will create the opposite effect. If we change the language, the feeling is still there, right? If I hate you, you can make me say I love you, but that doesn't change how I feel about you. And we cannot change how I feel about you until I actually get an opportunity to talk to you and we have a conversation. And then I realize through what you tell me that I am wrong or maybe I'm just an evil person. Right. But but shutting it down leads to more of what they think they're actually avoiding. Well, that, that is the philosophy underlying the First Amendment and the whole concept of freedom of expression. That's at least one of the philosophies right. of saying, look, Give people an outlet to air their their views and to discuss even bad ideas, because when you suppress that, they then become more radicalized and they, they then go from expressing things verbally to maybe doing things physically and then catastrophically. And so there is that philosophy. And I believe that's correct, that 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 that's you do need to. To, I mean, you, you always try to talk and, and, and have rational discussion, even with irrational people. Right. Um, but the problem, I think, Leland, is as we go forward and people become even more extreme in their viewpoints, you will have individuals and then collective groups who will reach a point where they say, we have the ability to read what is in someone's mind. The technology will be there. Yeah. And if they have these thoughts, they are undesirables. Right. And if they are undesirables, they must either be reeducated or disposed of. Yeah. Well, then that then, is where it heads. Yeah. You know, and, and when you just lay it out on paper, and and I'd like to think we didn't have people that extreme in their viewpoints, but some of the behavior we see out there shows otherwise. It's it's already been done. I mean, when you talk about this idea of collating an enemies list of people who supported Trump, there was another prominent blue checked liberal. I can't remember whether he was a journalist or a commentator that made the comment that literally we had to reeducate Trump supporters. I mean, these are these are the kinds of things that Stalin was doing when he was taking farmers who were growing too many potatoes and putting a few back for themselves 
when he put them on trains for that and sent them to prison camps to die of starvation. Right. Like they, they were they were the bourgeoisie. These were hardworking farmers in Russia. I mean, it, it's unbelievable to me how little the current generation knows of what has happened in the past and how close they are coming to that ideology. And the scary thing is that in the past, Stalin and 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 Mao and these other dictators, they didn't have the technology that China has now. Look at what China's created. Right. They well, yeah, I mean, China's, China's the case in point right. for a lot of this 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 privacy and this uh, self-determination and re-education or whatnot. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the social scoring system, the whole social credit. Right. Of, right. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's founded upon. Right. In, in principle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's terrifying. Yeah. China used the capitalist system, you know, controlled by the government used it to build the innovation they needed to create what they have now. And as they begin to even get more and more Orwellian, you know, there's the people have no choice. There's not going to be a rebellion in China because China's going to know about it before it ever rises. Um, you know, so it, it and, and this is this is the the world that we're creating with this technology is like, well, you know, we're going to police your thoughts and we're going to police what you say and what you do. And it's it's a terrible, terrible outcome. Um, this was a long trail around to why I actually had you come on the podcast in the first place. But I love it. It's been a fascinating conversation. Um, and I think this really ties into everything that we're talking about anyway. Amazon is now facing a privacy backlash for its new sidewalk feature. It turns Alexa devices into neighborhood Wi-Fi networks that you have to opt out of if you don't want to be a part of it. So it automatically signs you into this. Um, apparently, it connects to things like people's, your neighbor's doorbells, other people. It connects to other houses' devices that are Wi-Fi enabled. First of all, these are, I, they're, they're differing brands of things, and somehow or another they're able to connect to each other. What is the purpose of this? So the stated purpose is is to allow all of these devices to share little bits of each other's Wi-Fi so that you get better overall coverage. And you're basically pooling those resources together so that it, it, it creates this synergistic better outcome. So in other words, by allowing this, I get better Wi-Fi and I get better functionality of these devices right. in my neighborhood than I would if we didn't do this. Right. Um, and that that's the purpose that they're stating. And, you know, I never I never want to say that it's not that the purpose is false. But what we've seen is incrementalism is another rule of technology right. is it starts in tiny increments. They never do things in huge leaps. And, you know, as we're sitting here talking about the invasion of technology into our bodies, well, first we're talking about how it permeates our homes and our private spaces. That's what this is one more little step in that direction. And it, I guess my thinking is like on the surface, when you listen to the stated purpose, I'm like, okay, makes sense. All right. That makes sense. But how are they protecting me from say you getting someone else getting access to, um, you know, the footage on my home security system, which is Wi-Fi enabled, you know, how, how somehow, you know, if they can connect to it without my permission, then there's gotta be a way for them to get access to the footage. 
Yeah, well, the way they're doing this, and this is part of what's causing the big concern, is they're implying your permission by having the device. So they're saying, you know what, Leland, you have this device. We're going to roll this feature out, and if you don't like it, you can opt out of it. Right, right. But we're going to opt you in on it without your choice. So we're going to count you in, and then if you don't like it, you take the affirmative step of saying so and opting out of it. Right. So they're implying your permission. And, you know, I, I don't really know all the technology, the technological details behind how they're doing it. But what we do know is in the world of hacking, um, ways, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about, you know, if you're using open Wi-Fi at a Starbucks, someone could intercept your signal right. and, and, and gather that information. We know from the world of ransomware attacks that if you have backup devices that are even remotely connected to your network, hackers can find a way to get into your network, find an entry point, and then navigate their way through until they find your backups and delete them. And in fact, in the target data breach case, it all started because someone, the bad guys were able to get in through a previously thought secure portal that was used for their vendors. Um, and they used that as a entry point to then figure out how to go deeper. So however Amazon feels they're protecting this, the bottom line is when you create shared spaces, of technology, you're creating a connection from one side to the other, from right. outside to in, and that's what bad guys look for when they're figuring out how to get into environments. Tell me and if so. Tell me if this there, analogy works. Tell me if this analogy works. Okay, imagine a huge concrete building, massive, hundred thousand square feet, whatever. It's a big concrete building, no windows, one door. Okay. There's only one way in and one way out. That is a relatively secure facility, right? Guard that door. You're good to go. Now take that same concrete building, reinforced, bomb-proof, bulletproof, and add 100 more doors all around the facility. They can all be steel-reinforced doors, but it's 100 different opportunities for someone to get in and get out. Is that a correct analogy? In other words, the more the, the, the more connection points is. we have, the more risk we have. It is. It it certainly is. And you know, um, one of the lessons that uh, the great Sun Tzu on cybersecurity taught is if you're going to attack, you know, you don't always attack in the front. You know, on the the strength of the defenses, you look for. Uh, for, for weak links, you look for flanking your opponent, things like that. And when you have all these doors, you've created all these other opportunities for doing exactly that. Yeah, I, I learned a valuable, I learned this lesson, valuable lesson, um, the hard way. Uh, we had, you know, I have a broadcast studio in my basement. Um, I've got relatively high level um, internet services to my home. Um, I have a static IP address. It belongs to me and me alone. Um, I have pretty good firewalls. I've got VPN. Everything was locked down. I've got a very strong password. I change it regularly. Everything was locked down. We started noticing that uh, 
movies were appearing on our various streaming systems that we didn't order. And it turned out that what I didn't realize was I had everything locked down except we had bought a new TV. We bought a new big screen TV for the basement. And rather than going through my secure devices, I made the mistake of hooking that to my Wi-Fi, thinking my Wi-Fi is secure. They came in through the TV. They didn't have to go through my mm-hmm. Wi-Fi walls. They just came in through the TV because the TV had a signal. So by going into the TV, the TV gave them access to things I had firewalled. And they yep. bought things, my neighbors, bought things on my TV that I had not purchased. And so in catching that, I literally immediately took the TV. Now the TV runs through my closed systems in my home. It's online, but it's online through only that one system. The TV itself is not mm-hmm. online. It's the, the streaming system is online, and that's locked down. So I learned that lesson a valuable way. I didn't realize it by having my TV online, thinking that it was on. Well, it's on my Wi-Fi, so what is it? You know, it's not vulnerable. Yes, it was. It was absolutely a connection point that somebody could come in from the outside. So... That taught me a valuable lesson. It's exactly what you're talking about here. It was something I thought was guarded, something that I thought it was all password protected. Didn't matter. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, that's a very that, – that is a great example of how sharing Wi-Fi poses a risk because, you know, for, for years we've heard of those cases like uh, a lot of the copyright cases where they were going after people for illegally downloading movies they were using their IP addresses to track them down and they were tracking them down to their neighbor's Wi-Fi. Right. You know, because that's what they were using. They had logged in, they were using the neighbor's Wi-Fi to download the illegal movies and then they were getting the lawsuit filed against them. So it just shows the risk that's inherent whenever you're creating these additional connections. But, you know, the other thing where, where it's really a concern is, is that they're not giving you the opportunity to opt into this. And that's a fundamental privacy you know thing that we're expecting more and more of these days and and you know they you know their their position is well if you don't like it then it's easy to opt out well okay but if it if you do like it it's easy to opt in right you know (laughs) give me that choice before you do something so significant and invasive like this right why is that not going to change in america in europe they have opt-in laws you have to tell people to opt in as opposed to opt out america doesn't seem to care why is that not changing here you know fundamentally europeans have had a much greater respect for privacy they view it as a fundamental human right yeah um and many people believe that stems from the way they were treated by the nazis and Mm -hmm. and you know and so their laws um the the primary one is the european union's general data protection regulation and it's a very stringent body of of regulation that requires these sorts of things in the u.s we don't have that in the u.s we do not typically view privacy as a fundamental right um and and we don't have a universal federal privacy law instead we have 50 states that have their own and, and they're getting stronger um, California has uh, has been leading the way on that, and, and for, for good reasons and not so good reasons, uh, there are challenges that they're creating. But, um, you know, they're, they're pushing for it, and, and I think in the next few years we may have a better chance of seeing a universal federal law. Yeah. But not for not not right now. I had never thought about the the Nazi point of view. Um, 
there are people still alive in Europe. There's people here that faced it too, but very few. In, in Europe, there's still people alive that went through that, that lived in the occupation of their country. Whereas here in America, it's been 200 and some odd years since we've had to throw off uh, an overbearing, you know, government. So we don't have that, you know, we've had this freedom for so long that none of us know what it's like not to have it. So it's, it makes sense that we would take it more for granted uh, than our European friends. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes back to one of the very first points you made, and that is that people are trusting this stuff too much right because they haven't had to feel the sting of it uh when it's been used improperly and that's probably the root of all of this problem right now yeah fascinating stuff um real quick before i let you go are our elections secure there's a lot of crazy accusations going on about this election uh some of which seems quite believable some of it's been incredible fantasy theory um are our elections secure Based on everything I've seen so far, I have uh, I, I, I have not seen evidence indicating that that on a on a wide scale they're not. There are always going to be right. glitches. There's always going to be some fraud here or there. I mean that's just human nature again. Um, but I've not seen any evidence. Would it that be, indicates otherwise? Would it? Because I think I think where the fraud was not electronic. I think it was in the mail-in ballots and the lack of ability to really keep track of that. Where you had states that weren't requiring signatures, you have places that don't require IDs. You have the ability in some states to harvest ballots. Is it possible to lock down and securely elect a president online? I think it is. Um, I think we're seeing. That it may, I mean, look, nothing in the world of, of technology and security is 100%. It never will be. But we, so we've got to look at the risk, reward, benefit, and what the odds are. Right. And I think what we are seeing, taking into consideration the vulnerability of mail-in, of paper, of harvesting, of things like that, I think we are at a position now where our elections would be more secure and more reliable if we use the type of technology that you use in like the banking world right, to, right. To, to do an election. I think, I think it would be. I think we've reached that tipping point now where the vulnerabilities, and there will be some, and, and the fraud that will occur electronically will not be as pervasive as what the potential is otherwise. There, there are some who think that it would be bad if everybody could vote as easily as going online and clicking a button. I don't think that's the case. I think it would be a true snapshot of the way the people think. Um, not, I'm not advocating for full-on democracy. It's still a representative republic and always should be. Um, but, you know, you just have more people voting. It's, you know, if, if the snapshots we get of voters are accurate, then it would just be more people voting along that same snapshot. My question would be, is there a way to provide, because I think what, here's, here's what I think is the biggest danger that emerged from this election and really the biggest problem that, that, that came out of it. And that is that there is a very large group of people, myself included, who question some of the results. That is the most dangerous thing to democracy we can possibly have, for people to feel like their vote didn't count. Is there a way if we did it online and we secured it through that same banking system that we could have, like, 
I know I voted for President Trump. Here's my receipt. You know what I'm saying? So sure. That, so that, yeah. That, no, they, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That I mean, that could be verified and could be uh, then provided to you by an email or something, or a text message, or through a secured portal. Right. Um, you know, look, you're always we we've got to make sure we differentiate between fraud and just old-fashioned election ground yeah, yeah. game, right. you know, and right. persuasion. I mean, I, I know people who who were very adamant Biden supporters who who were giving folks a ride to go vote right. on a very regular basis because right. they're like, look, I believe very strongly in this. I'm going to give people a ride. I mean, were they saying I'm only going to give people, you know, I, I don't know what they were saying. I have a feeling they knew who they were going to vote for when they took them. Right. You know, but that's, that's the ground game. You know, that's not fraud. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you're going to have the, the, you know, elderly parent or grandparent who says, look, I don't know how to cast this vote electronically. And then you're going to have the young activist grandchild say, right. oh, I'll show you how to do it. Yep. And here, look, here's how you vote for whomever, you know, at that time. Yep. That's going to happen. Right. But that's not fraud. Right. You know, and, and so I think the electronic mechanism is going to provide us with a better and, and a much more swift and and you know, timely response than, than where, where, well, we're and right I think now. you could, I think you could solve the, cause the other question that comes up is, well, what about intimidation? You know, like you just, you described the young activists, yeah. but in some cases you could have people intimidating people by gathering them all into a group and saying, every one of you turn your phones on, make this vote right now or else. Right. You could sure. solve that problem by still having to go to a center to vote and show you know your ID and say, hey, I'm Leland Conway. I'm here to vote and then have a way to prove that, then spit out that receipt. But it's done online. So it's not as easy as pick up your phone and click a button because that's where the intimidation process could come through. You know, I could I could grab you from outside the alleyway, drag you back and thing and say, hey, have you voted yet? Damn it. Do what I tell you right now. I'm gonna, you know what I mean? You could avoid yeah. that by having it go to a voting center. It's just done online. You get a receipt for your vote. You can prove that your vote was such and so on and so forth. It's just I'm just thinking because the mail in ballot thing was a complete debacle and it should never happen again. It just absolutely should never happen again. So. I uh, I have not given this enough thought to be truly informed um, about it, but I do think I, I do think we've reached a point with technology where that's where we should be moving, and right. it is secure enough uh, to take most of the risk out of it. Yeah, and I think there are enough smart people who can think through all of these issues. If for God's sakes they would just do it. <laughs> you stop fighting and say, look, let's join together and figure out how to get a system yeah. to vote yeah. that actually reflects what these individuals in the country want. And look, if we lose it on that level, then we're not doing a good job of persuading right. people. That's right. We need to change. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Sean Tuma is yep. a partner at Spencer Fain Law Firm. You basically help businesses protect their information and themselves um as well uh from their information which is kind from of an their interesting, information. yeah that's an interesting that, that, thing data is a hot potato yes okay yeah. you, you gotta watch that risk yeah so <laughs> how do folks get a hold of you you can go to seantuma.com you 
You go to spencerfain.com. Your info is up there. And if you're a company that's looking for better uh, cyber risk management, you guys are the ones that can take care of them. Absolutely. We do that. Uh, we do a lot of incident response work, ransomware response, uh, coaching clients through that process, and then helping uh, counsel and advise on cyber insurance, which is something everyone should have. Awesome. Awesome, my friends. Good talking to you. If I don't talk to you before Christmas, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, but as always, we enjoyed it. It's my pleasure, Leland. Thank you as well. And I hope you and yours have a Merry Christmas as well. All right. Thank you, sir. Um, love Sean Tuma. Such a good guy. And um, really got a lot of knowledge about cybersecurity. That was an interesting conversation. Originally, I just wanted to talk about the Amazon thing, but it was far more interesting to dive into everything that we did. Uh, but that's the beauty of podcasts. We don't have a we don't have to worry about a commercial break coming up at the bottom of the hour or whatever. We just talk. I love it. It's so much fun. Hey, listen. Uh, I want to thank uh, one of the uh, folks that helped make this podcast possible so that we can get on here and ramble uh my friends at louisville cabinets and countertops um if you're thinking about redoing your kitchen now is a great time to do so if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor and you need con you need uh, cabinets that are high quality but affordable and you need them asap they've got them in stock right but if you're more like me and you're like i don't want to touch those projects i want somebody to come in and do it for me um turnkey kitchen remodel Man, that's also their jam, right? So they've got Michelle and Kelly and George who are designers on staff. They've got three designers on staff. So you could literally stop by the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane any day you want and see some of the examples of their work or just call 502-930-3304 and talk to one of the designers and they'll talk you through how this whole process works. If you're in southern Indiana, Oldham County, or Louisville, these are your guys. And I don't talk about businesses that I don't fully support. They did our kitchen when we lived in Crestwood. Our house sold in a day, and I credit the beautiful kitchen for being a huge part of why that house sold so fast and for top dollar. So listen, if you're thinking about doing this and you want to make the most out of your investment in your home, whether it's you want to stay in it and have your dream kitchen or you want to flip it and get a profit and move on to something else, Call my buddies at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops and get that done. And I, again, I appreciate them helping to support this program so that we can keep doing it. Also, thanks to my co-executive producer, Cameron Mills. Thanks to JP Web Design and Dynamics Productions for their audio help with this program. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Leland Show and at Zone Disruption. And on Instagram, at Great Lilando and at The Disruption Zone. It is a free download from Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. So get your business together and subscribe to this free podcast because it will deliver new, fresh episodes to your pocket every time they go up, right? Thank you for the thousands of you who've been downloading the podcast. We appreciate you so much. I'm Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone.